Will you pray with me this morning? Jesus, we thank you. In fact, uh, we sing hallelujah. Some days we confess it's a broken hallelujah. Some days it's a very rejoicing hallelujah. Other days uh, it's, it takes all we have <laughs> to still say, may the name of the Lord be praised. And so Jesus, this morning as we study your word, as we discover uh, the Christmas season and the Christmas message, remind us of every reason. That we have hope. Jesus, we lean into you. And we lean in to your work in our lives. And we pray that today and every day that you would do what only you can do. Jesus, we gladly pull up a table at the feet of your word to be reminded of how good Christmas really is. Jesus, we love you. We worship you as we study your word. We pray that between what I say and we hear, that you would not only speak, but change us. Please, Lord, we pray in your name. Amen. Amen. You guys know the you you guys know the song "Oh Holy Night," right? Right. I, it's usually a top three. If you ask people their favorite Christmas carols, it's usually a top three. If you ask them which one they can't sing, it's usually number one, right? Because Rachel can hit that high note, but I can't come close, right? Uh, that fall on your knees that goes up real high. And there's this line right in the middle of the song that says, a thrill of hope, the weary world rejoices. For yonder breaks a new and glorious morn. That's when it says, fall, right, right? See, see, I told you, I can't do it. I can't do it. Fall on your knees. Thrill of hope. You know, there's a lot of weariness out there these days. And weariness is nothing new. The world's known weariness for centuries, for millennia. In fact, if you really study history, darkness in the world is more the norm. Marcy and I watched Buddy the Elf the other day. It's, a, it's an annual tradition. We enjoy Buddy. Buddy's fun, right? Uh, candy cane, forest, and lolly drop, whatever's. And suddenly you're in New York City. I had no idea, right, that you could go through all that snowy stuff and suddenly you're at New York City. But... But, you know, it, it struck me that there are seasons of Christmas where I felt like Buddy the Elf. Like I couldn't wait, and everybody, and, and everybody knows that the secret for, for you know, is spreading Christmas, and you know, all of it goes into the movie. We, I, I, there are years where that's me, and there are years where it takes everything I've got. In a weary world, to still rejoice. There's a lot of weariness out there. Julie sent me something the other day. I think it was from CBS News. It said that a recent study done concluded that for the average American family to stay even with expenses from the beginning of 2021, you needed an extra $11,400 through the year. Inflation is weary. No other way to say it. I'm sure that there's somebody out there rolling in the dough. I'd like to meet him if, you know. It's not just money, though. If you ask Americans right now what's on their heart, I have this stinking suspicion that it is money, but it isn't money. That underneath it all, that there's a pervasive sense That something is wrong with our world. Because there is. And if you've ever felt like God has been silent. If you've ever felt 
Like the world has lost its mind. If you've ever felt like, like there's really no hope in the leaders that are presented before us, if you've ever gotten more personal than that, looked at your own pains and wondered if there was hope for you, thinking that my pains seem beyond help and beyond hope, I simply want you to realize that that description I just gave that you might identify with is the very backdrop of the Christmas story itself. It had been 400 years of God's silence with no prophet. Herod was king. He was not a nice guy, shall we say it that way? Right? Elizabeth, Elizabeth was barren. You probably know that aspect. John the Baptist's mom, she was barren. Mary ends up pregnant out of wedlock. There's a lot going on in the Christmas story that doesn't always feel like it's a wonderful life. We have a rather sanitized view of Christmas sometimes. Right? Buddy the Elf style, happy, happy, happy. But for those struggling mentally or emotionally, those struggling spiritually or feeling pain after pain, no matter the source, Christmas sometimes is a season where people bow out. Where they feel like, you know what, I'm not sure if I fit in all of the Christmas cheer for all to hear. Some of us, on the other hand, don't disappear, but we go through the motions. We fake it till we make it. At best, some of us keep those feelings of dreariness and weariness locked deep inside. That we push them down and go through, right? Okay, I'm going to go to this party, and I'm going to do the work thing, and I'm going to do what I have to do. And if you're here and you're struggling at all with weariness or worse, for the sake of your own life, for the sake of your own health, I would just beg of you to let somebody in. Find a friend. Let them in. Be a friend. Join in with someone else. People need you to listen. It's not that we can fix people's problems. I don't know about you, but anybody besides me realize I can't fix what's going on in the world? I can't even fix what's going on in my own life. Why would I think that I can fix what's going on in the world? Sometimes we just need someone to be present and listen. We need someone to not be God to us, but bring God to us. I often think that Christmas is a season that acts like a magnifying glass. Whatever you're already feeling, Christmas season tends to magnify that. If you're happy, it's magnified. If you're encouraged, it's magnified. If you're struggling, it's magnified. If you're depressed, it's magnified. If you're stressed out, bummed out, that's magnified as well. It's easy to feel overwhelmed. You ever read a verse of the Bible and you think, I know there's a lot there, but I'm not sure I really understand it all or understand everything going on? I want to play Connect the Dots with us this morning. This is probably nothing new to you. You've heard this story before, I'm certain. I'm going to jump in in the middle. You remember that Mary was found to be with child. Joseph had a plan. He was going to divorce Mary quietly. They were not uh, fully married yet, but they were betrothed. And that day would require divorce in their engagement. An angel appeared to Joseph in a dream, told him not to be afraid to take Mary home as his wife. Verse 21, Matthew 1. You know this verse, right? She will give birth to a son and you are to give him the name Jesus because he will save his people from their sins. And all this took place to fulfill what the Lord had said. 
through the prophets, specifically the prophet Isaiah, that the virgin will conceive and will give birth to a son and they will call him Emmanuel. And what does Emmanuel mean? You know that. God with us. If ever there was a season in your life where you needed to know that God was with you, maybe this is it. Think about Joseph. Think about what Joseph has going on. He's just found out that his fiance, to use our language, although it was more than that, is pregnant. And he's certain he's not the father. And there's a story, because there always is. And even if he believed the story, he knew what was coming for her. And he knew how society would treat her. And he had to figure out a plan. And he thought to himself, I've got to figure this out. This isn't what I had planned. Everything seems out of control. And the angel shows up and through these words is essentially saying, I know you have a plan, Joseph, but God has a bigger plan and a bigger story. How do I know that? Well, play connect the dots. I happen to know that this... It's from Isaiah 7, right? And the virgin will conceive and will give birth to a son and they will call him Emmanuel, which means God with us. That story is found in Isaiah chapter 7. And so I want to read it to you and with you and I want to just teach you what is going on there so that you understand the backdrop of why God with us is so powerful. Isaiah chapter 7 verse 1. When Ahaz, son of Jotham, son of Uzziah, was king of Judah. Now, let's just stop here. David was king of Israel, right? Everybody sort of remembers that. David, Solomon then became king of Israel, right? Post-Solomon, you end up with a lot of infighting. The kingdom splits into two. You have a northern and a southern. And and we would think of them as, as, you know... North Israel and southern Israel, but that's not how they thought of it. It's sort of split back into tribes again. And so you've got the northern kingdom, the southern kingdom, the southern kingdom is Judah. And, and they each end up with their own kings. And they battle back and forth with each other a lot. Civil war style. And then in the middle of all that, <coughs> each, each one of those kingdoms cycles between good king, bad king, bad king, good king, bad king, bad king, bad king, bad king, good king, bad king. And they do a lot of that back and forth, that who's in charge is evil in the eyes of the Lord. And we don't even have to wonder how that played out. The history of it is all back here in the part of the book some of us never really go back to. But it's all there, Isaiah chapter 7, when Ahaz, son of Jothan, the son of Uzziah, was king of Judah, king Rezin of Aram, and Pekah, son of Remaliah, king of Israel. All right, so don't get confused here. King of Israel is the northern kingdom. Judah is the tribe of Judah, the southern kingdom. It's where Jerusalem is, where Bethlehem is. So the king of Aram, another country up north, aligns himself with the king of Israel, And they were going to march up to fight against Jerusalem, it says, but they could not overpower it. Now the house of David, this is the southern kingdom, was told, Aram has allied itself with Ephraim. Ephraim, another word for Israel, don't get confused. One of the tribes of Israel, Ephraim, so they would refer to the northern kingdom as Ephraim. I know, You kind of do have to really study this stuff to understand this stuff, right? Now the house of David was told Aram has allied itself with Ephraim. In other words, two of its enemies to the north have just developed an alliance, a partnership. And so the hearts of Ahaz and his people were shaken as the trees of the forest are shaken by the wind. That I can understand. Aram, Ephraim, who's this? Remaliah, Pekah. I, I like, who are these people? I have no idea what you're talking about. But their hearts were shaken as the trees of the forest were shaken by the wind. 
That fear I can understand. And then the Lord said to Isaiah, Go out, you and your son Shear Jasub, to meet Ahaz at the end of the aqueduct of the upper pool on the road to the launderer's field. Yes, and I know exactly where that is. You've been there, haven't you? And say to him, Be careful. Keep calm. Don't be afraid. This sounds like when an angel shows up, right? Fear not. Do not lose heart. And again, just notice the verbs. Be careful. Keep calm. Don't be afraid. Do not lose heart. They were shaken like the forest in the wind. And God sends the prophet Isaiah to say, you don't have to be as fearful as you currently are. Do not lose heart because of these. Now he calls these two leaders, these two smoldering stubs of firewood. Because of the fierce anger of Rezin and Aram and the son of Remaliah. This is very vivid, very descriptive, right? And Aram, Ephraim, and Remaliah's son have plotted your ruin, saying, Let us invade Judah. Let us tear it apart and divide it among ourselves and make the son of Tabeel king over it. So just pause there, verse 6, into verse 6. Just pause there. I want you to realize, if you're taking notes, you can, you can just write this in the notes with me, that fear and weariness make it difficult to feel Christmas. Fear and weariness make it difficult to feel Christmas. Thankfully, Christmas is not a feeling. Christmas is a reality. A reality based on a promise. And specifically, a promise made and a promise kept by God. Fear and weariness make it difficult sometimes to feel Christmassy. Anybody besides me struggle sometimes at Christmas? I don't know if you've heard, but here in the Pacific Northwest, it gets dark at like, I don't know, noon. Right? And and it rains just a little bit. And our friend, the sun, went away until July 4th. He'll come out for a visit sometime in February, usually for about five days. Sometimes this time of year we get caught up in the exhaustion of the season. And whatever radical thing has just sort of popped up in our lives we have no control over. The fear and weariness make it difficult to feel Christmassy. But Christmas is not a feeling. Christmas is a reality. God with us. And Christmas is a reality based on a promise made and a promise kept. So just keep reading with me. Remember, they were afraid. Isaiah shows up, calls these other two kings (laughs) smoldering stubs of firewood. They're plotting your ruin. Verse 7 says, Yet this is what the Sovereign Lord says. Sovereign Lord. Ahaz thought he was pretty sovereign. He wasn't. Ahaz thought he was king, and he was. But he wasn't Lord. And frankly... Ahaz wasn't a very good king. In fact, we would, when we read the descriptives of him in 2 Kings and 2 Chronicles, we find him to be one of the more evil of all of the evil kings of Israel or Judah. And yet here's God giving Ahaz another chance. 
This is what the Sovereign Lord says. It will not take place, the two smoldering stubs of firewood that are threatening your ruin. It will not take place. It will not happen. For the head of Aram is Damascus, and the head of Damascus is only resin. And within 65 years, Ephraim, that is northern Israel, will be too shattered to be a people. And the head of Ephraim is Samaria. This is where they, they made the... You know, kind of the king's palace of northern Israel. And the head of Samaria is only Remaliah's son. And if you do not stand firm in your faith, you will not stand at all. Isaiah is saying to Ahaz, look, I know you haven't been a faith person. And I know you haven't leaned into your faith in God or the sovereign Lord. But the sovereign Lord sent me here to say you don't have to fear this. That God has you if you will just trust him. Let me pause there and give us a couple of important reminders. Number one, experience Christ, experiencing Christmas happens in faith, not fear. Experiencing Christmas happens in faith, not fear. That faith is the way forward. And maybe this Christmas you need the reminder to just lean into your faith. And you might even say to me, Brian, I don't have faith. I promise you there's no better time than right now to begin faith in God. For me, that happened when I was 15. I found Christmas that year. Maybe if you say it better, Christmas found me. Other years, you might have been a, a faith person for a long, long time. And yet there are years where some Christmases you feel like, I don't have a whole lot of faith. I've just got that little, you know, that tiny little mustard seed. You know, remember Jesus talked about mustard seed faith, right? The whole point of that, I think, is that it's not that your faith is big. It's that you give what percent of faith you have. You say, oh, this year I feel like my faith is, my tank's on empty. I'm down to about 5%. Just give God the 5% you have. 5% faith in a really big God is way, way better than 100% faith in you when you can do nothing. And that's what's going on here with Ahaz. Isaiah is saying, Ahaz, don't put all your faith in you. Don't put all your faith in your control. Don't put all your faith in an alliance you can make with another superpower of the world. Because that's what Ahaz has privately already done. He's plotting and planning, and he's already gone to Assyria, and he's saying, hey, I'll show you what we got. I got some rich stuff. You help us out. I'll help you out. And God sends Isaiah to say, you don't want to do that. It will not work out for you. Experiencing Christmas happens in faith, not fear. God miraculously accepts what faith we do have, not what faith we don't have. Number two, Christmas always offers me a second chance with God and a second chance to trust God. Have you noticed that Christmas comes around like with some regularity? Like ready or not, here it comes. I'm not trying to be negative about Christmas. I just note for you that the calendar sort of works a certain way and that every, you know, 12-ish months or so, it shows up again. And depending on who you shop with, it shows up in about seven months. Because, you know, we can finish Christmas season and come January, I guarantee you, by like August, there's Christmas up at Sparta Hobby Lobby. And then by by... Late October, you start to see the orange candy come down and the red candy go up, right? Right. So you don't even have to wait 12 months. It's, it's like preachers and Sundays. No matter what we do to get Sunday right, it turns out every Monday there's sort of a feeling that preachers have of like, oh man, and the next Sunday's coming. And would you know seven days later it does. And that's not always bad news. A lot of times that's good news. Because I'll stand here some weeks and think, man, that was just like honest to God, like awful. But God offers 
new opportunities all the time. And Christmas always offers me a second chance to trust God. This isn't Ahaz's second chance, honestly. He's had chance after chance after chance. And he wasn't living for God and he was an evil king. And yet here's Isaiah and here's God saying, just trust me. You say, Brian, how do you know that? I'm not going to read it for you, but jot this down. 2 Chronicles 28 and 2 Kings 16. They're heavy chapters to read, but you'll read about how evil Ahaz really was. And you read the backdrop of this story in Isaiah. And what you find is that Ahaz had no intent to trust God. If you do not stand firm in your faith, you will not stand at all. And so again, verse 10, the Lord spoke to Ahaz, Ask the Lord your God for a sign, whether in the deepest depths or in the highest heights. But Ahaz said, I will not ask. I will not put the Lord to the test. He sounds very righteous here, right? Right? I'm not going to test God. But what's really going on, again, Second Chronicles 28, 2 Kings 16, is, is he's basically saying, I don't need God. I've got Assyria. And if you know your biblical history, that didn't work out very well. Ahaz, I will not put the Lord to the test. And Isaiah said, hear now the house of David. So now Isaiah turns from Ahaz and he speaks to all of Judah. And he says, hear now you house of David. Is it not enough to try the patience of humans? Will you try the patience of my God also? Yes, I will. Thank you. As humans, we do it all the time. Yeah, were your kids ever try your patience? I mean, when they were little? Still do. Did I, is that what I heard? Is that, is, that, is that really what I heard? Yes. Yes, exactly. Exactly. We love our kids, right? Will you try the patience of my God also? Therefore, the Lord himself will give you a sign. He says, he says to Judah and to Ahaz, you won't ask for one. I'll give you one anyway. Another chance to trust me. The virgin will conceive and will give birth to a son and will call him Emmanuel. Which even in Hebrew means God with us. And it goes on to talk about who this son is and what this son is like. And one of the things you have to understand is that in in Old Testament prophecy, you often saw an immediate kind of fulfillment and then a long-term fulfillment. And that shows up in this one. And I'm not going to dig into the immediate part of it or not. But you can see that the angel with, with, (laughs) with Joseph reaches all the way back to the story, which, by the way, 700 years before the time of Jesus. If you think you've been waiting on God for a while, to, to you, think, you think you try God's patience. God's pretty patient. So God gives this promise here in Isaiah 7 and says, I, there will be a virgin who will give birth to a son and his name will be called Emmanuel. And 700 years later, an angel shows up to Joseph and says, you're going to give this child, you're going to take Mary home to be your wife. And you had a plan, but God's got a bigger plan. And when you get her home, she's going to give birth to a son. This virgin will give birth to a son and you will call him Jesus for he will save his people from his sins because he will also be called Emmanuel. God with us. God says, Ahaz, you have your plans. And the enemies have their plans. And I don't know about you, but to us, when it feels like the enemy has conspired against us, it just feels like we collapse under the plans. 
And God says there's an opportunity for faith here. And I, Ahaz, could equally say, I'm not very good at that faith in God thing. And through Isaiah, God is saying, I have you. Here's your chance. Trust me. I've got this. In fact, he tells them, remember, 65 years from now, the people you're fearing, the smoldering stub of firewood, these won't even be a people anymore. And that actually proved to be reality, biblical history. That 12 years after this date, that the Assyrians wiped out the northern kingdom. And after they were wiped out, they moved their own people into Samaria. This should start to sound familiar because by the time of Jesus, the people down in Judah looked at the Samaritans as not real Israelites. This story is why. Because I just want to make sure you see this. They sent, Assyria sent their own people, foreigners to Israel into the land of Israel and they meshed with the people and they had sons and daughters and the people in Judah said, we don't like those people. And God's heart has always been, and, and, and where, was, where did Jesus spend most of his time? Did he, did he hang out in, in Jerusalem all the time? No, in his three years of ministry, where was it? North, south. It was up north. It was Samaria, north of Samaria, Galilee. We'll get into that part next week and why Galilee. But but Jesus went and spent most of his time with the very people that most of the people in the south said, we don't like them. It turns out that God's love for all people has always been God's love for all people. Ahaz didn't listen here and he sent word to the superpower of Syria and he asked for help and God had given him another chance and and <laughs> everything seemed out of control and God is saying, no, it, it, you're wondering whether I am with you. I am with you. The question is not whether God is with us, but whether we're willing to trust the God who is with us. And God says, you don't have to be afraid, Ahaz. I've got you. I know this isn't what you had planned. I know this seems out of control. I know your back is against the wall. I know it looks like you've got to figure this out all on your own. But trust me. And trust that I am working. That's what God says to Ahaz with this promise of a virgin born, a virgin who gives birth to a son who will be called God with us. So here's what I'm getting at. The one thing. What I want to what I want us to try to absorb today. In Christmas, and any time of year, honestly, there's no greater sign I can trust God than the baby born to be God with us. Again, sometimes it feels like God's going silent. Sometimes it feels like evil's winning the day. Sometimes it feels like our lives are just falling apart. Sometimes people will say to me, Brian, I'm not sure if anymore if God is real. Sometimes, sometimes your heart will feel, again, remember, Christmas isn't a feeling. Your heart will feel like God is not with you. And you will wonder, and you will scream at God sometimes, God, where are you? Anybody know what I'm talking about? God has already answered that question. That He is God with us. 
I think about my life over the years and the times where it seems like things are just wildly out of control. And it seemed like I wouldn't make it or it seemed like I wouldn't be able to walk or it seemed like... And here I am today. And that's not to say that things are always going to go my way in future years. But I can honestly look at my history and say I am here where I am today because Jesus is God with me. So how do you know you can count on God? And how do I know I can count on God? I want to go back to the Christmas story again. And I just want to connect these dots for you. Because, because really, Joseph's story and Ahaz's story are similar but different. And the difference is largely in the heart of Ahaz versus the heart of Joseph. But they face very similar circumstances. This is how the birth of the Messiah came about, Matthew 1.18. Nick, you got to love me today, man, because I'm jumping into stuff not where I put it in the outline. And so I apologize, right? right? These guys, have, these guys do a tremendous job. That's the only way I know to say it. Right? They, have to, they have to follow when my brain goes, squirrel! It's not easy to do. This is how the birth of the Messiah came about. His Mary was pledged to be married. To Joseph, but before they came together, she was found to be pregnant through the Holy Spirit. And because Joseph, her husband, was faithful to the law, or a righteous man, as it says in some translations, and yet did not want to expose her to public disgrace, he had in mind to divorce her quietly. In other words, his back was against the wall. Things seemed wildly out of control. And it wasn't his plan. But he came up with a secondary plan from his back pocket. And he said, okay, I'm going to divorce her quietly. And this was to protect her, if you understand the law of the day. This wasn't that he was distrusting her. This was to protect her. And honestly, probably partly to protect himself. And after he had considered this, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream and said, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take Mary home as your wife because what is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. The angel is just starting to hint here that a long, 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 long time ago, God made a promise. And here in your day, in your life, in your fiancé, God is keeping a promise that He made hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of years ago. In fact, even hundreds of years before that. You know the part of Matthew you skip, right? Chapter 1. right? The, the chapter 1 before the chapter 1 I'm reading. right? It, <clears throat> this is the genealogy of Jesus the Messiah, the son of David the son of Abraham, and Abraham was the father of Isaac, and Isaac was the father of Jacob, Jacob the father of Judah and his brothers. This is about the point we go, oh yeah, this is all that Old Testament people stuff, and we skip it, and we go to, this is how the birth of the Messiah came about, right? Look, 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 look. Verse 7, chapter 1. David was the father, by the way, you do know that God made a promise to Abraham too. That he'd be a blessing to all nations. That there, there's promise about his kids being as numerous as the sand on the seashore. And, and there's a promise in the Abraham story of God sending a Messiah. And over and over and over through the Old Testament, God is promising in nearly every generation, God is saying, I'm going to change things. That I am sending a Messiah Verse, middle of verse 6, 7, right? David was the father of Solomon. You remember that story, right? Whose mother had been Uriah's wife. That's like, let's sweep that under the carpet. 
Solomon, the father of Rehoboam, and Rehoboam, the father of Abijah, and Abijah, the father of Asa, and Asa, the father of Jehoshaphat, and Jehoshaphat, if you need a kid, having a kid these days, I'm just, you know, it's, these biblical names are always great. Jehoshaphat, the father of Jehoram, and Jehoram, the father of Uzziah, and Uzziah, the father of Jotham, and Jotham, Jotham, the father of Ahaz, Ahab. This is a list of the kings of Judah. Ahaz, the father of Hezekiah, who incidentally turns out to be a great king. The evil king has a son who turns out to be a great king. And sometimes the great kings have sons that turn out to be evil kings. Not trying to imply anything, just this is the way it goes. So, near the end of this genealogy, Jacob, the father of Joseph, the husband of Mary, and Mary, so what he's telling us is that these are Joseph's descendants. They did 23 and me on him and found out that Joseph could have been a king. Instead, he's a carpenter up in that northern part of the land. This is how the birth of Jesus, the Messiah, came about. His, Mary, his mother Mary was pledged to be married to Joseph. Before they came together, she was found to be pregnant through the Holy Spirit because Joseph, her husband, was faithful to the law and did not want to expose her to public disgrace. And because of this, he had in mind to divorce her quietly. But after he had considered this, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream and said, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take Mary home as your wife. Remember before when it said, it basically said, do not be afraid. It said, be careful. It said, don't fear. It said, it's the same thing going on. She will give birth to a son. And you are to give him the name Jesus because he will save his people from their sins. And all this took place to fulfill what the Lord had said through the prophet that the virgin will conceive and will give birth to a son and they will call him Emmanuel, which means God with us. Now, Ahaz has this interaction with Isaiah and wakes up and kind of says, eh. And Ahaz trusts himself and the kingdoms of this world. And that, frankly, hardly ever works out. Joseph, on the other hand, has God send him an angel. And it says, Joseph woke up, he did what the angel of the Lord commanded him, and took Mary home as his wife, but he did not consummate their marriage until she gave birth to a son, and he gave him the name Jesus. How do I know that I can trust God? How do I know that I can count on God when life doesn't look like what I had planned? How do I know I can count on God? I'm going to give you three simple answers and then we're going to land on this thing, okay? One, Jesus always keeps his promises. Always keeps his promises. I want you to say that with me. Jesus always keeps his promises. Jesus always keeps his promises. Always. God made a promise. <laughs> Isaiah 7 to one of the worst of Judah's kings and here he's keeping it and if you struggle to feel like God is with you or God loves you God hasn't changed he is still God with us I can always count on God to keep his promises now here's the problem and you and I know this to be the problem when do I want God to keep his promises you got better bet how fast do I want God to show up on what I think He's promised? Right, yesterday, exactly. Exactly. We're, we're, we're microwave people, right? right? I mean, we may live in a world that, 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 that to us appears instantaneous, but God is outside of time. And God's time works on God's timetable in ways that we cannot fathom. But God always knows what he's doing and i can count on god to keep his promises number two my plans and my control offer false hope but jesus offers real hope my plans false hope 
my control, false hope. For one, my, my control is an illusion. You know that, right? Right? I, I am considered one of the leaders or a leader or the leader is all how you look at it, of Harvest Community Church, right? Harvest Community Church has a leader. I'm an under-shepherd, meaning that there's a great shepherd of our souls. It's his church, not mine. I can have plans. I can make plans. I can want plans. I can, I can have no plan. But my ability to really pull things off, Let me say it this way. Remember we were reading before in Isaiah, and it, Isaiah says, this is what the sovereign Lord says. The problem is, when it comes to my plans, is that I want to be sovereign Lord. I want to be sovereign Lord over the plan. I want to be sovereign Lord over how things turn out. I want to be sovereign Lord over the timing. I want sovereign Lordship. Over and, and this is evidenced in my life by all the ways that, that I try to control other things and other people and try to pull strings and try to, try to do everything I know to do. And I can do all of this all day long and try to be the puppeteer only to find out that, guess what? My control is an illusion. Because Jesus is the sovereign Lord. You ever look at the world and you see a lot of people pulling strings and the strings you don't always like and you feel like the world is just having a heyday and the world will sometimes look at itself and say we got this all figured out and if you read the book the whole book there's only one sovereign Lord. My plans and my control offer false hope, but Jesus offers real hope. It describes him, Joseph, as someone who wants to follow the law, was faithful to the law, but he's still a sinful guy. Don't mistake this. It's not that he's perfect. And you have this sinful guy, and he's struggling with doubt. Mary's pregnant, and he's not sure what to do, and he's got a scheme in his head to try to keep this quiet. And so he's going to divorce her. And he's going to do it quietly. And he's just kind of going to let things fade. Because everything out seemed out of control. And God is saying through the angel to Joseph. I've got you. Trust me. And trust my plan. See I'm never alone. How do I know I can trust God? He's I'm never alone. And I'm never alone because Jesus, who is God in the flesh, is with me. God with us. God was with us at Bethlehem. God in the flesh. Jesus born. God was with us at the cross. God in the flesh dies. God is with us in the resurrection. And God with us in a borrowed grave from death to life. And if you wonder if God is with you, if you feel today like, hey, I am alone, God is with you as a companion. If you think that you are alone and that you are lost, God is with you as a guide. If you have feelings that you are weak, God is with you as strength. If you feel today like you are sick or full of pain, God is with you in His healing. Now again, do His promises happen on our timetable? <laughs> but i got a promise over here at the end of the book that says no more death or mourning or sorrow or pain. If you feel like I am just hopeless or I am stuck in my sin or that there is no way out, God is with you as your Savior. There's no greater sign that I can trust God than the baby born to be God 
with us. Can I pray that for you, with you? I don't want to just pray it for you. I want you to pray it with me. We always end our sermon with two prayers, and then we're going to sing another song. And this is the best news ever. So I, 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 are we singing Go Tell It on the Mountain? Is that? Yeah, I thought so. Like, this is the best news ever. If you need Jesus today, maybe for the very first time, you've never received salvation, you'd pray with me right here, right now. You pray like this, dear Jesus, I know I don't deserve you. Because like Ahaz and Joseph and Mary, I'm a sinner. And so forgive me for my sin. I put my faith in you. I believe you died for my sins and rose again. Take over my life and be God with me, Jesus. God in me. Thank you. I am never alone. In Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. If that's you and you've given your life to Jesus this morning, we'd love to celebrate that and know that and hear about it. We can't celebrate what we don't know about. So let me know. Tell somebody who's here. Like, there's a number of us, almost any of us in this room. You tell us we're going to celebrate. You can find me after service. You can email me, even online. I'm Brian, B-R-I-A-N, at HarvestChurchEugene.com. We would love, love, love to celebrate that you have been found by God. The rest of us, a lot of us, we've prayed that. We're in. But Christmas sometimes is still dark, is it not? You're welcome here. You are loved here. You are wanted here. So would you stand and say this prayer of application with me and while we pray it, the band's going to come and we're going to sing with hope. Dear Jesus, you can pray it out loud if you want. Dear Jesus, thank you that I am not alone. I confess my weariness, my fear, and my anxiety. Thank you that you are with me in those feelings. And I ask that you empower me. Help me to release control, to trust you, trust your plans, trust your timing. Take my hope off me and put it back on you. God with us. We pray in your name, Jesus. Amen. It's good news. It's good news. I love you guys. Before we sing our closing song, I just remind you again, we'd love to hear from you on communication cards or online digital communication cards. You can drop those in the basket on the way out. You are loved. And you're not alone. Let's sing.